training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Welcome to the Pendola Project. I'm your host, Matt Pendola. Hello, Matt Pendola. I am Jake Parker, and we are here to present to you Les Nesbitt. He's a bit of a legend around the Pendola gym, isn't he, Matt? There's no hill for a climber, man. And that's a quote that I didn't get at first, but now it's one of my favorites. Can you explain it? Yeah, so Les really came up with this quote when I first started working with him. Geez, it was 20 years ago almost now, or yeah, 20 years. So he said to me, if I don't think of it as a hill and I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just going to keep on trucking. I'm going to keep on climbing. It doesn't matter what's in front of me. I'm just going to keep going. So he doesn't see a hill, even though he's on a hill or a mountain or what have you. So that's the mentality. And it's kind of like that glass being half full scenario. Yeah. And it's also a great example of mental flexibility that we've talked about, Matt, when you're faced with a hurdle that may seem insurmountable to you, change your perspective, change your state of mind. And once you get to know less, he is also that guy who sees the hill and is grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. He also fought off a polar bear. Right. (laughs) That's one of the craziest stories ever, man. That's more toward the end of this episode, but you'll hear it, his story where he's facing down this polar bear and he's going, it's you or me, bear. And if you know less, you believe that that actually was what's going through his head at that time. Yeah, and you might not be into hunting, but Les's story is amazing. And of course... He's got the kind of work ethic where he's realized throughout his entire life from the time that he started as a young man with his business until now when he's been retired for several years, that it's just all about your attitude and what you're willing to put into something. So he's willing to do the work. That's the main thing about Les that I've always respected. He doesn't expect things to just come to him. He doesn't expect you to just give him anything. And he's still that way today. So at 79 years old, he is as strong, if not stronger, than most guys walking around in their 40s. No offense, because I'm one of them. And I can tell you, he's legitimately strong as an ox. And in fact, there was one guy, I guess, that Les was talking to that just he could not accept the fact that Les was as strong and capable as he is. I think that sometimes it's almost hard for people to accept that because then they're also accepting that they had some ability to be able to do that, too, if they're willing to pay the price. And it's never too late. This is a perfect example with Les about someone who can really put the example forward into all of our lives, and that should be an inspiration to us. Les is not a perfect person. There's there's no question. He's a pain in my butt, Jake. He's, yeah. You know, I'm always <laughs> yelling at him in the, in the gym. He's a tough dude. I love the dude, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always telling him, I, you know, Les has been with me for 20 years, like I said, and I'm still giving him corrections. And, you know, he'll get away with things if he can. And, you know, he's, but that's what's great about him is you're just a, you're just a, a guy who's willing to work hard, but you're flawed and you know that. And so do I, but 
that doesn't stop you. You're still going to keep working towards these things. And I really believe that that's the fountain of youth, if you will, when it comes to Les. He's probably my biggest inspiration. I think of him as a father. Real talk, Les has been there for me as a father since I got started in this business. I didn't know a single person in Reno. He was my first client ever. I'm sure we talked about that in the podcast. And he was always there for me when I needed him the most. And that's not in just the lovey-dovey, cuddle-you sort of way, hand-holding. No, there are times when he gave me some support that way, but mostly it was tough love. Right. He's a very tough guy, and his work ethic demands a lot of respect that I think he requires out of you. I, absolutely. So you say, oh, man, I'm, how you doing? How you doing today, Matt? Oh, man, I'm tired, man. I worked all weekend. So I worked all weekends for 30 years. What are you complaining about? And immediately you're like, oh, he's right. Time right. to go. Yep. Sorry. Yep. You're right. It's my job to, I got to do my job right now, just like you did your job. So yeah, you're right. And you hired me to do a job. So let's get after it, Les. Yeah. His work ethic is inspiring. He's a regular guy, but he's certainly not an average guy. And you're about to hear that with Matt's interview with Les Nesbitt. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Pandola Project. Of course, you know the point of this show is to find out how we can get 1% better version of ourselves. I don't have a better guest than today with Les Nesbitt. This guy is a true outlier. He has done it all, you guys, and he has started with nothing. I'm not exaggerating in that story that I tell about There's No Hill for a Climber, the name of this podcast episode. No Hill for a Climber is something that I learned about 17 years ago from the man himself, Les Nesbitt. Les, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing fine. Thanks for the invitation to come here and tell my story or, or lie a little bit about it, or whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Les has got a story that it's kind of like came out of a movie. And part of why I say he's an outlier, guys, is because they say that really people who have very little opportunities, maybe even no opportunities, they tend to wither. People who have all the opportunities, they have everything in life, a lot of times they don't grow as much. It's the people kind of in the middle that tend to have the most success. So, outlier like Les is rare to find, but man, when somebody digs themselves out of that hole the way you did in life, Les, guys, grab your pens, grab your pencils, start taking some notes, because I promise you, you're going to learn some life lessons today about how to become successful. What is your idea of success, Les? Well, it changes as life goes on. You know, when I was a young man, success was being able to wake up the next morning with a full stomach or wake up someplace not laying down bleeding somewhere. And as you get older now, success to me is being to wake up in a warm warm bed someplace. So there's a, quite a variety of success in everybody's life. Depends on what you look for. I think you and I have always bonded that way together. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. We, we come from similar backgrounds. Mine was maybe a little less uh, financially secure, but uh, it's one of those things you just work up to, you, you work into whatever you have in your mind. You just have to keep moving forward. As you've taught me through the training and everything, the mental part of everything is very important. I, I started off as a young boy. I didn't have a father. <clears throat> My mother was a, was a seamstress. She had to work and I was pretty hard to keep control of, but my grandfather 
pretty much raised me until I was eight or ten years old, and then uh, he passed away. So I started being on my own about that time, uh, only in the sense that my poor mother couldn't handle me, and we we moved from relative to relative, mainly uncles, and uh, they they were all carpenters, worked in construction trade. And, and that's what I started to do as a young man. Whether I wanted to do it or not, I had to go to work. I, I, was, I think I was actually about 14 years old before I literally had a bed to sleep in. Prior to that, I slept on floors, couches, or, or wherever I could go. I would sometimes go down to the bakery and dig into their trash and get food for my mom and I after my grandfather died. Um, sometimes my uncles were a little rough. I... When I went to work for them, one of the ways I learned to be a hard worker is when uh, I would go to work and haul lumber or whatever, 12, 13 years old, and I was kind of a big kid. And uh, when we come home, it depends on if they had been drinking or what they were doing. But uh, if they didn't think I worked hard enough, we went in the backyard and I didn't get slapped in the face. I got knocked down with their fists. And I was told, when I tell you to run, you better run. So that always stuck in the back of my head that if you're going to work, you better work hard. How old were you then? I was probably 12, 13 years old. Somewhere wow. In that, somewhere in that neighborhood. And different different relatives would leave, and I would go stay in different places. Wherever My, my, my mom was a wonderful woman, but, you know, again, I was hard to control, and I got in with a bad bunch of kids and did a lot of things that maybe, you know, I really don't want to admit to here give you a rough idea i've been shot once and stabbed once so fortunately i i met a woman that was pretty good and decided i I think he's a nice guy but i'm going to get him out of this stuff helen yes your wife helen my wife of 50 years and guys i know it's a little bit tough sometimes when i am trying to think about all these different experiences in my life and i say compared to what all the time I didn't have it easy. Uh, That's for another podcast maybe, but I listen to less and I think to myself, okay, compared to what? I I definitely had more opportunities than than you did. And it's not, when we say success, yes, you have financial freedom at this point in your life, but that's not why you're sitting here today. You're like a father figure to me. You are a role model for the kids in my gym they proudly wear there's no hill for a climber in quotes on their backs on the shirts that we give them and i want you to just talk maybe a little bit about when did you learn this philosophy of yours at what age because i know you mentioned you were stabbed you were shot you were doing some bad stuff and you know it's good to be vulnerable there too less i am vulnerable sometimes with people and that's how i really find we can open up and start to realize we have some commonalities right so it's good you made mistakes but you obviously dug yourself out of that hole you mentioned your wife helen who probably was the turning point for you but uh first talk a little bit about where there's no hill from a climber came from when did you start following that motto probably one of the biggest assets i had as a young man that kept me in school and such was i was pretty good athlete and competition is one of the most important things in the world to me is never lose you you die before you lose which is another one of my sayings but um 
If you're not bleeding, you're not trying. That's right. That's, that's another that's one, too. If you're not bleeding, you're not trying. You guys listening to this are going to be like, this guy's not for real. He, this is this is really how he is, but uh, we'll talk about how he played Bloody Knuckles and I won, by the way. You remember that? Yeah, well, I remember I remember Bloody Knuckles. I don't remember. I remember you walking away in shame and crying. But you, that's, that's what you remember. Somehow I remember the opposite thing happening. But, uh, but hey, you know, listen, we, we never, ever agree on things like this because we both want to be the toughest guy in the room, that's right? That's right. But that's, that's right. okay. I'm, I'm going to yield my toughness to you. That's okay. Listening to your story so far, I already know you're tougher than me. So, all right. So, Les, uh, there's no hill for a climber. You started adopting this philosophy, digging yourself out of the hole. You brought your wife, Helen, into this. And I think it was about that time period that you decided that you were going to do things differently. You loved this woman. You wanted to maybe go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I knew later, I knew somewhere around 16, 17, 18 years old that there's got to be a better way than the way I was doing. Um, and I'm, I didn't meet my wife until after I got out of high school. I'd gone to school with her cousin. And uh, I met her afterwards, but prior to that, I knew there was uh, a better way. And and uh, even as a young guy, and, and maybe I'm bragging on myself, but I was always thinking I, I need to have money. I want to get money. That seems to be the the key to everything at that time was money. You know what? Real quick on that, I'm thinking of Mr. T. You remember Mr. T? The A-team and all that, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. And of course, I'm such a diehard Rocky guy, so when he was in Rocky 3, right? It's just... Anyways, so Mr. T, I remember reading an article about him. He grew up super poor, and he just laid in his bed at night and thought about how he was going to have so much money one day. It was going to give him a headache deciding how many different types of clothes he was going to be able to buy and how many chains he could put around his neck and things like that, right? So, I mean, I think that's a normal thing when you go without. Um, I, ha- I had it maybe uh, a little bit better than you in some ways, but I was still in that position too. I remember thinking the same thing. I am going to get money one day. I think that's a that's a normal thing to think about because when you're uh, my daughter, she's getting ready for school and she gets to go school shopping, get new clothes. She's super excited about that and she knows that I didn't grow up with as much there. And she was asking me, she said, uh, Daddy, did you used to get made fun of? And I said, yeah, sometimes I did because I would come in that first day of school and I was wearing what I wore the year before, which was kind of a no-no. And I was growing, so I had high waters on, you know. You know, high waters, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. And <clears throat> you ever wear high waters? Have to oh, wear absolutely. Sorry to interrupt, but I just, you know, no, remind me right. of this Mr. <laughs> T story. Right. And, that's all right. You know, so I think that's a normal part to, to want is. to get there. It is, you know, and, and I think some people follow it a little farther through. I, well, by the time I was 16, 17, whatever it was, 18 and there, and I had been working in construction, I managed to save some money. And some of the uncles that used to kind of bat me around a little bit, you know, but they were not the, the sharpest. They were smart men, but they just, they just didn't have their stuff together. One uncle in particular had a little house. It was a, it was a nice house. And, uh, he was one of those guys, he'd live here and live there. And I was about 18 years old, and I said, well, what are you going to do with that house? He wanted to go off someplace, him and his family. So I bought it from him. I gave him $3,000 for it, furnished. 
For a house. For a house. I got That's a free, how old are you? We didn't even say that. I was 17, 18 years old. I had to lie to get it on her, but there was going to be no debt, so I just gave him the $3,000, took the house. And and you're 78 now. And I'm, se- I'm yeah. 78 we're, now. We're just going to you know, let everybody know we're dating you now, but <laughs> okay, so $3,000 for a house. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's crazy. I, I, did, I just spent twice that on my time oh, trial man. bike, but uh, that's well, another- Well, it, it was a good deal. I sold it- uh, when I ended up in Reno in twenty one twenty two, I sold it for thirty five or forty thousand dollars. So it was I got it. I actually I had actually gotten his hip pocket, but mainly because I I was a little angry with what he'd done to me, or him and the rest of them had done. I had a lot of cousins, female male and female cousins. None of them were very athletic, and I was a pretty good athlete. And they, I always felt they held that against me. Because that was the one thing that kept me in school is because I was a good athlete and I didn't learn much. Because th- in those days, if you were playing a particular sport and you're pretty good at it, the coaches would say, "Okay, your English teacher is going to be this guy. Your history's." A-. And for the three or four years in high school, I never attended English or history. I just went out and practiced whatever the sport was going to be. But that <laughs> was not that uncommon. So. I think they they didn't like the idea that I did something that you know they would wanted their kids to do. Right, right. So, but that's where I started that thing. It, in my mind, there's just no hill for a climber. If you don't quit, you keep going. You don't give up. You're bound to make it to the top. And I think I had mentioned something similar to you later on as we become friends in your business. Yeah, and you know the way I interpret that especially to the athletes I work with and train, I think of it this way, that you're going to have obstacles in the way to the top. And so that's the that's the hill. But if you are ready for those obstacles, you expect that hardship to be there, you expect those challenges to be there, then you don't see those as threats. You just see that as a challenge. And, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and with some people, that becomes the fun part of it. The challenge and and the ability to beat the challenge becomes the fun part of it. Now, that's the mental part of it, be it a physical endeavor or a mental thing or a business thing. And there's nothing more fun than business challenge. And, you know, there, I try never to be dishonest with anybody, but if I could outsmart you, then that was your problem, not mine. <laughs> So, yeah, and you married Helen pretty young. You guys were yeah, a I, young couple. I was 20, just just a little over 20 years old when we got married. She was 21, a wow. lot older than me. And uh, and you guys were were together from that point on? For for 50 years. She died, whatever, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were together for 50 years. And, uh, it works good when we were both young, and it's worked for some people, others that don't. We kind of grew together. Yeah. And, uh you know, it, it worked good for us. She didn't. She didn't mind my hunting, and she didn't mind the the uh, desires that I would have and the and the competition I would put on myself and everything. Well, you're on top of everything else. You're a bit of a workaholic. Yes, I I always was. I always was, and it doesn't have to be with your business. It can be anything that you want. Anything we're doing is worth winning at. Right, right. I love it, Les. I mean, I will say that. 
if it works for you is something I talk about a lot. With some people, they're not going to be as happy doing things to maybe the intensity or with the amount of volume, let's say, that you would be happy doing it at, right? That's very true. Right? Very true. Everybody's got to find their own process to success. But because this it works can be for hard you. on the people around you. When you're so intense right. about something, uh, it can be very difficult on the people around you, your children, uh, your wife, or, or or friends. It can be it can be difficult for everybody around you when you're so intense that that's the you get tunnel vision, and that's gonna that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, but I know this about you too, Les, because I deal with this a little bit. I work a lot. It's hard because it's um, sometimes a challenge to find enough time. But when I'm there, I'm there, 100% focused, right? And, Absolutely. And, and I will say, I actually have to put in my schedule my daddy-daughter time. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, look, that's when it's in my schedule, there is nobody or nothing else that gets in the way of that time I have with her. And when we're there, I'm playing with her. I'm doing, the other day, Les, I showed you the video. Yes, she did. Right? So my yes, daughter, guys, you guys are going to think, okay, uh, he's so you know, crazy and, and probably thinking I'm making my poor seven-year-old do this. But she was swimming for about an hour. She's a, She likes to swim. And then she said, uh, Daddy, can we go biking? And keep in mind, day before, we bike for like six miles. But she just loves it. I don't know. She she has that uh, drive, that desire, but she just thinks it's fun. And, and of course, we keep it fun. Um, but... We went out for about seven miles on the bike. We got done, and she was popping off her bike, throwing off her helmet, and doing her transition. So she'd go into her run. So she did her first little mini triathlon the other day. I'm just so proud as her daddy. But I, I tell you, it's nothing I push on her. But I'm thinking to myself, like, look, how many times do you see people at the park with their kids? They got their noses buried in their phones. I, they're texting, they're Instagramming, whatever they're doing, and their kids playing, and they're not even part of it, right? So I think sometimes that it's about the quality, not the quantity. And I know you were a very present father. Yes, I was. I mean, I was. I was always around, as intense as I was. But I, I would, I would have my downtime, especially when you know you get home and I, I come down from the day. And we would uh, we would do things. I always made up a lot of games and a, a lot of actually a lot of lies to them. I mean, they pretty much for quite a while would go to school and tell the teachers I was a pitcher for the New York Yankees, and that I had I was a doctor. But I got tired of that because I like to work outside, so I was a carpenter. I had all kinds of stories I would tell them, and I was a good storyteller because they believed me most of the time. Till the teachers would say, "No, no, he's not." I love it, buddy. I love it. So, yeah, you know, talking about your business, though, you're in construction. You have a successful construction company here in Reno, and now your son runs it. Yes. You're you're retired. You get to go hunting now whenever you like. Yeah. I'd like to talk about how did you have such a successful business in such a a tough industry? And the the reason why I say tough, because... I know there are times when uh, everybody seems like doing well, and then there are times when there's no business, there's no money out there, and you've got to survive through those times. You help me a lot with this kind of advice along the way. I have a business where it's, of course, a luxury a bit more, especially with personalized training. 
And we lost with 10 years ago or so, we lost a good half of our business within one quarter when the economy tanked. And a lot of people just couldn't afford that type of training anymore. So I had to prepare for the worst and, um, you know, I had to make it through that time. But I remember you always told me about uh, saving for those times, uh, investing, those kind of things, but also just the quality of business that you always gave, the honesty, the fact that if you had quoted somebody a certain amount of money to do a job, but then you didn't use all that money, you would give it back to them and you didn't have to necessarily. Talk about those things because I think that's why people kept hiring you even when times are tough, you still have business. Well, and that's true. And and on, on more than one occasion, if I had a very successful project and it was somebody that I had worked with a lot or if it was a new new client, I would get all done we'd get all our books in and if i had if i had made what i thought was probably on on just an obscene amount of money i would come back and write him a check after i'd been paid i would go back and write him a check and tell him look i made more than i should have and uh i just felt that was the right thing to do but there's things that happen from that and uh, one gentleman i can think of and he's runs buildings all over the world a very well-known guy. He he come back, and uh, he thanked me for it. He had a big company uh, or managed big companies, and his instructions and and uh, I was in seminars where he would bring my name up. But his instructions to all the people that were in Northern Nevada that no other contractor in Northern Nevada is allowed to do any of his work other than myself. And we did that, and I worked for him for years. We did Walgreens. We did all kinds of things for him. But he was a he's a very obviously very intelligent guy, very wealthy guy. But he just felt that uh, I had done that, so I must have had something worthwhile. And I tried to treat everybody that way. That's what I call outcome over income. But yeah. interestingly you know, enough, absolutely. that's what ends up getting loyalty, getting more business to you. Especially again, times are tough. But I can recall during even those times, you were getting accounts from different businesses. I think Walgreens was one of them, right? Yeah, we did a lot of those. And I think that you just had that kind of relationship where they were still giving you business, especially probably in times when you had a lot of overhead still and needed that business, but got you through those uh, tougher times. But it was just because you were doing the right thing for the your entire career, really. Yeah. You know, it's what comes around goes around. It's the, the, that that saying and fit that fits in correctly. And there there were people would when when I was giving money back to people, you know, that and I didn't do it all the time, but when it would occur, they'd go, "Why are you doing that?" Well, I said, "You know, it just that's just what I believe in. That's what I think." You know, I've never had a contractor give me money back. That's for sure. Well, you got to be careful because I could be pretty slick too, probably. <laughs> so uh, let's let's just talk about uh, taking out the garbage, right? So I'll give a little bit of a backstory, but I was uh, in a different career before I started Pendola Training. I had a little bit of money saved up, but most of it went into the business, and then eventually it was really just trying to get myself that next client, right? Trying to build on that business a little bit more. And you were my first client ever. I should have started with that, guys. He was the first client that I ever got in Reno, first official client I ever got in my life. 
And it was a great thing that was happening for me without even realizing at a time. Again, my focus was on how to help you with your your heart, your knees, and we could talk about that a little bit later, but that was my focus with you. Little did I know that I had a mentor and a father figure in my life now, and uh, times got tough for me in the beginning. Uh, as you know, less, I was sleeping under my stairs when I first started my first brick and mortar business. I could afford to have pay rent there, but not pay rent there and where I lived. So I ended up sleeping under my stairs, uh, showering at my gym. But I remember you telling me, hey, Matt, if you love this the way I think you do and and you keep doing this again, kind of like there's no hill for a climber mentality still. I was kind of complaining at the time. I just thought that I should have more business already. I was getting frustrated, barely pay the bills. I was paying them, but man, I'm supposed to be a strength coach and I'm losing more muscle every month because I'm eating ramen noodles and can't afford much else and, and sleeping under the stairs, right? So, and you, you kind of came back at me like, hey man, stop feeling so bad for yourself. If you love doing this so much, it's going to end up working out for you. But uh, you told me that analogy of, hey, Matt, if you love taking out the garbage and you really love taking out the garbage, one day you're going to own your own dump. And I just never forget that. <laughs> and it's, it's such a less thing to say because uh, I, I, think, I think that there's probably other analogies that you could use for a strength trainer or something like that. But it worked. Um, and so just tell us a little bit about how you've used that kind of analogy for your own life, buddy. I was fortunate. I got into construction and I actually, like yourself with your training, I loved construction. I had an aptitude for it. And I would go home and draw plans, draw house plans, figure out how to cut roofs. And by the time I was 19, 18, 19 years old, uh, down in Southern California working as a framer, I actually was working as a foreman. I had guys 35, 40 years old under me. They didn't like it too well, but I was, you know, I made sure everybody, and I expected, uh, uh, even when they worked for me, I expected a, a day's worth of work for a day's pay. No more, no less, but I expected that. I mean, I made a few mistakes firing people I didn't think were working hard enough, and at the particular time, I didn't realize they started at 8 o'clock, not 7.30, but I fired him anyway. <laughs> So, and I yelled at the superintendent for wondering why he's drinking coffee on my time. But, you know, you make mistakes. I'm trying not to laugh too much into the microphone here, but I, uh, I've heard so, so many stories about you. And, and one of the things I heard about was like your you know, days, I'm not encouraging this guys. Les was a bad boy, but you know, he'd get into these bar fights and, uh, you know, get a little bit crazy. And I think maybe this is a bit exaggerated when I hear these things. And then I would hear from another client that knew you like, man, I, I saw that guy lay somebody out outside the bar one night. Like that guy's that guy's a real slugger. He's he's crazy, man. And uh, but you had that kind of mentality when you were younger. Maybe uh, you were a little harder on people, but you expected a lot out of yourself. I think is kind of the thing there, right? And so in turn, you, that's how you see other yeah, people. My should my be. Uh, my anger was was directed at myself. If I made a mistake, I would become so angry with myself for making a mistake. 
not that I necessarily made the mistake, but that I didn't think well enough before I made the mistake. I wasn't my thinking process wasn't working the way I wanted it to. So I was very hard on myself, and I expected I wanted so much so much work was going to be undone. And so what I expected from myself, I expected for the people that worked for me. I kind of found that not everybody works that hard, but not everybody's been poked in the eye for not working hard enough. Yeah, no, I I tell you what, Les, there's so many stories that I think people could benefit from hearing, but we'll shift gears now a little bit and talk about your health, because I think that you put so much into your business and providing for your family, where you've built your legacy and your life around your business initially, which then gave you other opportunities, right? And we joke around that you made that money so you could afford to go hunting, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, there was a serious note to this, and you ended up having uh, some trouble with your heart. Um, talk about that a little bit and why you end up coming to see me. Well... It was uh, New Year's Day in 1999, I think it was, or, or 2000. I was feeling down a little bit, and I didn't go duck hunting, which was unusual for me. But anyway, I got some chest pains. My wife takes me to the hospital, and I had a clogged artery. So they had gone in and put a stent in there. And uh, it scared me because my physical ability was one of the things I was proud of it as as a my whole life as a young man. I was very proud of my strength and my physical ability. And all of a sudden I think I was fifty nine or something or sixty. And wham, it just to me it disappeared. Well, you know, that's if you want to lay, lay around and feel sorry for yourself for a, a couple months, that's fine. But the next day I said, Okay, I gotta do something about this. I went over and and uh, signed up to 24 Hour Fitness, not knowing what else to do, but I thought, well, I, I'll go work out or something. That's got to help. Oh, the the shame. Yeah. My 24 Hour Fitness days, <laughs> yeah. you had to bring that yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, that's where I started, guys. No offense to any trainers that might be listening that start at 24 or at 24. That's where I started too, but uh, yeah. that's where I met you. So I'm glad I was at 24. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. And, uh, I went over there, and I, I actually talked to the guy at the desk. I signed up whatever in the heck you have to sign up for six months, a year, whatever it was. And I signed up, and I told him I I, would, I knew enough about certain things that if you get a trainer or whatever the field might be, but they can do it a lot better to show you. My thought was, well, I'll get a trainer for a month and figure out what they do, and hell, I can do that too, you know. And then he introduced me to Matt, and Matt started talking, and we started working a little bit together, and and he was doing pretty good. Some of his stuff I thought was a little stupid, <laughs> but he was doing his ballerina stuff where I, I was balancing. I remember thinking, I'm going to lose this guy. <laughs> I'm trying to teach him some good accessory work to do. Les just kind of looking at me going, I, I, when are we going to stop doing this and lift some weights? I thought I was here to lift some weights, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you were my only client. I couldn't afford to lose <laughs> you. I was like, oh, true. man, that's maybe true. I should give him some uh, good <laughs> compound movements here. But uh, we, we had to we work we on your knees too well my knees were not bad at that time my knees got bad later on uh, that's yeah that's true yeah uh, after a few months and i don't know the time frame but you left 24 hour fitness we went to another gym where i rented space yeah yeah well what what i was getting to on that is i had made this lifelong commitment with 24 hour fitness a contract signed and everything I'm there three or four weeks or a month and Matt's going to leave and I still got eight, ten months to go on this commitment. 
I'm thinking, what the heck? Now, I really kind of like this guy, he's making, but he's leaving. So I went and said, okay, Matt. You mean kind of like me. You quit. loved me. <laughs> you gonna, loved me. I'm going to quit 24-Hour Fitness. They're not going to give me my money back. So you got to give me a little bit of a break till I get this thing that I get over with you, which he did. And, and then we went on, and, and I followed him around uh, like a little puppy dog, I guess, from gym to gym until he finally got established. Now, it was very loyal of you to give up the sessions they tricked you into buying before I left. <laughs> Actually, I don't even know if you remember this part of the story. It's one of the things that uh, I don't like about uh, these commercial places and why I did leave. They knew that I was out. They knew I was leaving, but they uh, sold you on more sessions, and they did that to keep you around. Obviously, you walked in the door, the salesman got you, and then I was like, oh, man, he's now he's going to stay there. But you were actually finishing up with sessions and bought more, thinking yeah. you were going to train with me, and they yeah. didn't tell you that I was already no, leaving. That's that's true. I, very I, loyal. You're very loyal. Well, I, I'm only loyal to quality. I'm not loyal to used car salesmen. <laughs> uh, and I could see that what you were doing, and, and you don't, you did, at that time did not have the knowledge that you do today. True, I mean, your, true. Your knowledge, is, as everybody does in their elected fields, uh, develops. But it was much more than those other guys at 24 fitness, fitness playing solitaire while they were waiting for their next client. <laughs> so <laughs> you were generally reading books. Yeah, well, you, well, it, I went to rubber band school. Yes, I was just going to bring that up. The stupid rubber band school. That's it, guys. Uh, listening to this, but I I went off for a seminar. I came back all excited about using reactive bands, and Les was like, "Oh, great! He went to rubber band school." And <laughs> Now we got to do all this stuff. <laughs> but I was trying to, to learn. I think the intent is the most important part. Oh, yeah. And we're still using the rubber bands. We're still using them, yeah. And uh, that's the thing I would say that is matters most, whether it's your construction business or you're doing a business like mine, whatever you're doing, you're just doing it with the right intent. And then it lasts, right? You mentioned quality. I still use the rubber bands yes, because it actually works. Um, I've just now brought in my spectrum to understand a little bit more about biomechanics and other training variations and uh, progressions that work well together or so that I can give you maybe some different variety that's going to keep you from getting you know, sick of the bands, right? For example. So, but as you go along, you're always trying to get that 1% better. That's what we're talking about on these podcasts. And so another thing I learned from you though, if I want this and I, if I do want to be the best at what I do, first of all, I think I'm just like you, I'm my own worst critic, but I never think it's enough. I never think I'm really the best. Um, I think I felt like a fraud most of my career. I think it's really been just in the last few years that I feel like, well, maybe I am actually good at this, but it took me a long time to get there. Well... I've been feeling that way for the last few weeks that you were trying to, trying to catch on. But, <laughs> Just the last few weeks. Yeah, being I'm going on a sheep hunt and you've been trying to kill me. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been fun. It's been really exciting getting you ready for this this sheep hunt. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of you. I mean, guys, remind you, he's 78 years old. And we gave him some good workouts to do. Well, excuse me. 
training to do. But we gave we gave you some good training to do to get ready for this sheep hunt. And you were texting me the other day about your negative that you were able to do coming back up a hill on a hike that you're doing that's replicating some of the aerobic work that you need for this hunt, right? Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how the training has been going for you on that. Well, it's been going quite well. And, and before I get into that part of it, one of the first issues that I had come up, and this was after several years with Matt and, and, and a lot of hiking and a couple falls and tearing my legs up, it was determined that I had to get a knee replacement on my right knee at the time and later on on my left. But one of the things that uh, we did, and I knew the orthopedic surgeon because I, I hunted with him a little bit too. What we did is I, I told you that I was going to do this, had to do this surgery, and you started strengthening those legs up through what I thought was very unusual things. I, I won't go into them because I might have them wrong. And you got my lame leg extremely strong prior to the surgery. We went in, did the surgery. They gave me the knee replacement, and I didn't go to physical therapy. I came right back to you instead, and we worked on that thing, and that's when I was a younger and a lot stronger, but I was doing a lot of leg presses at the time. And within, based on what we'd been doing, and I did the surgery, and within two to two and a half weeks of coming back from the surgery, up to about a month, I went back up from four or five, six hundred, up to eight or nine hundred pound leg presses in a course of a month from surgery. And I did it again four or five years later on the other leg, basically from the process that you had me do in preparation for the surgery. So I, I just wanted to bring that part of it up, that there's a lot of thought that you put into what, we're do, what we were doing. Yeah, and of course, you did this at a more advanced age in your golden years. And of course, I, I do want to say leg presses are not actually my favorite movement to do. I want to do no, squats, right? But I want to do lunges. I want to do, you know, different things that are going to uh, work your entire body, but more so put emphasis on getting your glutes to respond, right? Getting your legs to get strong above and below the knee, but especially through your glutes in your case, we want to do a lot of that. So it was mixed in with a lot of those other type of movements. Um, and you would, of course, you'd never like to do the glute bridges and ISO holds and that stuff just burns. But you, I kind of threw a bone your way and said, okay, let's just, let's just see about doing a progressive overload with leg press. I did have a variation to leg press guys. I know probably nobody cares about this, but I have a specific way that I do it. So it's better for the body in my opinion. But point is that we wanted to throw you a bone and give you that and actually it's the hack squat which is a little bit more functional i think and you like that that that's the alpha in you that said yes. hey i lifted heavy yeah. today i feel like i'm making progress but, and that's but i've lesson. gotten out of that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't, we don't, yeah we, we don't care as much about that no. at 68 than no. you did when you were uh 58 right that's right that's right. Excuse me, 78 rather. Yeah, right? and I think when I was doing my knees, I must have been 65. 
somewhere in that neighborhood when, when they were doing the knee surgeries. Yeah, no, um, and, and that was part of what you were saying before. Uh, again, you didn't want to always do the ballerina stuff, and I wanted, but I could get you into squats, and I could get yes. you. We were just doing some really good uh, squats the other day with um, a safety squat bar. You did a great job, amazing job. You looked, you looked really good in your positions, but you can't go as heavy with those movements. And we don't. It's risk versus reward. We don't really need to. But then you know, just giving you a little bit of a of a bone there so you could go heavy. But now you know you've kind of I think gotten so far along in your training that um, understanding risk versus reward. Okay, I'm just going to go lighter with the safety squat. You notice we don't really even get over to the hack squat no, as much. No, we don't. A couple of the the hikes that you had me doing uh, that we originally started talking about. I think five miles or whatever it was. But it was, uh, I started off because I still have, I got to be careful with my knees all the time. So I started off and I would go downhill out to the Pyramid Highway and then back up. And when we originally started this, as far as this, this sheep hunt, I'd go down and, and my knees, they were a little sore when I would first start going down, you know, it just twinges. And then coming back up was, was hard, but uh, then as I explained to you what we were doing, and then you increased it where, okay, now you've got to go down and I'll throw out some numbers, whether they're correct, I don't know. You've got to hike down to the bottom on a reasonable pace in 40 seconds, but you've got to come back up, which is a lot steeper, and, you know, and you've got to come back up and you've got to do it under 40 seconds. That became my, my norm for that particular thing. And eventually I got to maintaining the 40 because we did that the same but then i worked my well back into 35 three and a half minutes or whatever it was or uh, 35 minutes coming back up and you had to go i don't run anymore but i had to go really hard for three minutes and then walk easier or slow down for a minute or so and then really hard and you really you really botched the explanation of that workout up really really badly, buddy. But I do, but I do want to, in all seriousness, let's just talk about well, when you're in like the hurt that. locker, and I'm putting you there, right? And you're in that uh, place where now I've got to hold this threshold, and I've got to keep working here. What are you saying to yourself there? Because that's you're so strong mentally. What are you saying oh, to yourself you, when you're going up that hill? Do you say there's no hill for a climber? What do you say? You, you know. The One thing more step. I, what do you say? I'm not going to quit. I'll okay. die before I quit. Yeah. I, I looked. I, I had a subdermal hematoma out on the ice out in Polar Bear with my blade brain bleeding really bad. You almost died <laughs> on me back lo- then, and you were still my cash cow back then. I almost, <laughs> I, I was I was freaking out because I thought I was losing my cash cow. I get a call. Les is in the hospital getting a uh, surgery. He was up in Alaska, and then they flew him back. He's, he, he might not make it. I was the first one there. I think I beat your wife. I was the first one there, and I was just uh, j- trying to make sure you didn't die because I needed the client. Well, I needed yeah, the money. and you were afraid you'd have to give my wife some of the money back. <laughs> I was free. Freaking out! I couldn't afford to pay her back anything. No, but it was um, it was this. Well, it was scary. When I was, when was, I was standing there staring at that polar bear in my and in such pain, but one of us was going to die, me or the polar bear, and I I I wasn't going to quit. You know, one of us is going to die, bear, and it ain't going to be me. 
Wow. And, that, you know, I know some people, by the way, might not understand hunting because I know you guys are passionate about hunting itself and why you do it. And also the fact that there is some things that maybe non-hunters don't think about when it comes to the sport and what you do actually for the wildlife. I don't hunt, but I understand it with you guys. And uh, I respect what you guys uh, do for the wildlife in turn. So, but with you, I want to make sure that I say this. I, as you know, don't have a father figure in my life and never, never had him around really. And I was always a little bit bitter about that. And I tell you what, when you came into my life, buddy, everything happens for a reason, but man, did I need a father figure then? And you have never, ever let me down. You've always been there just like a father for me. And there's times, man, less where I've been actually disrespectful to you, not because I didn't appreciate the love and support. Talk to my wife about this a little bit. There's been times when I think that I was a little bit uh, angry taking it out on the one person who was actually, you know, really cared about me and was going out of his way for me. But you never, even when I went through those periods where I wasn't always listening, I wasn't always receptive, just like a parent, you were just there to listen to me, to love and support me, and to get me through these times where, you know, who knows where I would be without you. But all I know is that you are a father to me, and there's nobody in the world that I would choose other than you for a father. Well, so. That's very kind of you to say. It's very kind of you to say. And one of the reasons that I didn't give you a hard time is you got awful big and strong. So, I, you know, I didn't want to come up and slap you in the face and tell you to sit down. Depends on <laughs> what, depends, yeah. You you, uh, you say big and strong, you mentioned that. We call you the oak, but guys, uh, this this guy's a real bear. And you, another one you say is, uh, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly, right? That's right. Yeah, so let's finish off with that one. That's a good one to, to uh, finish off with. What does that mean to you, Les, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly? If you're going to do something, do it all the way. And not just as good as you can, better than you think you can. You know, you're not a little black bear, you're a grizzly bear. Uh, What a great way to end a podcast about getting better and about being a better version of yourselves. That's what it is. All right. Thanks, guys. Jeez, I love you too, guys. Thanks for listening to the Pendola Project this week. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at pendolaproject at gmail.com and always find us on Facebook and Instagram. And we'll talk to you next time.